Welcome to the podcast, Moving Through Fear, where we explore the role fear has in leading us toward what's most important. I'm Craig Strong, photographer, inventor, and co-founder of Lens Baby Inc. Along the way, I've met a lot of amazing people who've learned a great deal about how to live life well. In these one-on-one conversations, we explore the role fear and negative emotions have played in, of all things, making life better. In this conversation with Parker Fister, we talk about horseman systems, six by nine. We talk about 2.7 megapixel cameras and the transition between those two things. We talk about radioactive lenses and bear traps on the roof. Parenting, also related to bear traps. This is quite the varied conversation about life, about photography, about old tools and new new tools, and how to bring them together to create art that really expresses who we are as people and uh, really looks for our vision to come together with things that were never intended to be used together at the same time. Parker has tons of stories. I love hearing Parker's stories, and I think you'll love to hear what we explored together in this conversation. And uh, welcome, and here we go. Hey, this is Craig Strong. I'm here with Parker Fister, a good friend. We go back, I don't know, 2002, and so much has happened since 2002. But uh, Parker and I have um, a lot of parallels in our creative journeys and in our careers. And uh, Parker's a photographer, and he's used Lens Baby. And Lens Baby's mission statement is we empower artists to move through fear to discover extraordinary creative freedom. And that resonates with me. I know Parker and I have lots of things in our lives around anxiety and things we've had to overcome. And so I'm sure that's going to be woven in here in our conversation. But uh, Parker, I just want to welcome you and always love having a good conversation with you. And they're always good. Always, always, Greg. And thanks for having me on. I yeah, you're it. welcome. Absolutely. Get ready. I have no idea what's going to come out of this mug. <laughs> that's or, uh, or what's in this mug. Yeah, that's why I got you to sign that contract ahead of time, so I'd, I'd own it. Um, anyhow, so so Parker, I know you and I've had lots of times on rivers together, and and photographing professionally and for fun and in workshops and all sorts of stuff. You've been a huge inspiration to me. And, uh, and I was thinking today about how you burn brightly, like you, you know, you're, you're out there just spending so much energy on everything that you do. And I'm wondering, like looking back, because I know your story is shooting photographs of medium format with your dad and uh and being a truck driver out there with your was it your Mamiya system was that an rz or rb system that you were shooting with i had an rb system for a while i had my horseman system was what i shot the most with i guess yeah and then and then i met you we were shooting on apsc three megapixel cameras back in 2002 making amazing art you know the opposite direction from yeah from uh, six by nine or six by seven yeah. i don't remember what is six by nine wasn't it six seven six nine and six twelve and oh all, my I, it was an interchangeable back i could oh, do whatever wow yeah, that's pretty yeah knowing something about lenses that's quite a trick to get all yeah. Uh, that big of an image circle that's fantastic but regardless i i digress um (laughs) talk to me about your journey and i'd i'd like to hear things that you had to overcome that created anxiety and things you were afraid of along the way (laughs) myself mainly uh (laughs) it's the biggest fear and not knowing what to do with myself i have uh oh my god during like when i was in school all growing up, not even in school, like in the car ride, in uh, the dinner table, at, at night in bed, I would just dream. Like that was my my biggest um, fault as a student was I would daydream. I wouldn't even know where I was in class. I would just dream stuff up. Uh, my grandpa Homer, I'm sure, was the same way. I know my dad was. Um but Homer, you know, he was an inventor. He just dreamed up how to make things better and how to 
make the world a better place by creating things. And that's what he did his whole life is just invent stuff. So, you know, I think maybe that's, that's probably why we're friends that and your sense of humor and your, <laughs> your good fishing skills. But the, the fear of not knowing that um, what I'm doing, the dreams that I have are, are, are my fuel. And like, like I want to, I want to step out and just be like, oh, I had this dream to go do this. And then, you know, everybody's just like, quit dreaming, quit dreaming, quit dreaming. Can, can you can you cite a specific story of, of when that when that happened or it just for you of wanting to step out past that fear? Um, when I was a kid, I would write poetry mm-hmm. and poetry came from these ideas and thoughts the night before last. Yeah, the night before last, I dreamed about the song because now I, I do singer-songwriter stuff. So I play guitar and, and I sing, but not well, according to you. Um, oof, still holding that against you. No, um, you were, you, I think you were under the influence of something that night. I don't think you understood what I had to say there. <laughs> I'm kidding. But I, I had a dream of this song. Of, of the the lyrics and what it meant and i woke up that morning and i wrote the whole chorus and i'm like holy shit that's it and then i hopped in the hot tub and wrote like three verses and came up with this beautiful song about the wind and the fire coming together and creating and you know me and and my new partner like that's what we are we're finding out that we're definitely wind and fire and we just like towards the world we're it's amazing (laughs) so it's like back when i was a kid like any of these these ideas or dreams or anything i'd have i feel like i was just wasting time writing them down because i think that's the way people saw it people just saw it as like you know quit daydreaming and get to the stuff that's important in life it's like I think your dreams are some of the most important things in life. And as a kid, they were always kind of squashed by everybody, even my dad. Hmm. Like he didn't want me to become a photographer. He just laughed at me. He was a scientist. He was like two PhD, brilliant, amazing scientists and amazing dad. But he wanted what was best for me. He wanted me to go to college and become a doctor or become some sort of scientist. But as a photographer, which is what I wanted to be, like at the early age of 11, I was second place in the World Fair. I was completely addicted to, I was doing cibachromes when I was nine years old in the basement. Like this is what I did. I had my own dark room and I wanted to do all the cool stuff. Hmm. And he's like, do you know how many photographers are in the world? Hmm. Why? Like there's, there's no room for you. And that Is, was, and that was back then. Yeah. Like if he yeah. only knew what it was like now. And, it, you know, I, I guess one of my biggest regrets in life is that he, he didn't know before he passed away of where that I have made a living from photography for hmm. you know, over 30 years. And this is mm-hmm. like, this is my dream come true. And it came from those dreams. It came from the daydreaming of just closing your eyes and seeing the image appear. And it's like, now I got to go make that. How do I do that? When he gave, he gave that gift to you. Like he he introduced you to that. Right. But then, but then he resisted. What do you think that fear was for him? I mean, Obviously, he wants his son to be healthy and, and yeah. have a good life. Yeah, didn't want me living in the basement. And yeah. you know, I'm sure there was there was a lot of that in there. Um, so is that voice still something you carry? Is his voice around uh, that that fear or that you know choice and the, when things aren't going right? Does does it come up? I don't think it does. Good like, for I you. Think that that one that one I pushed out because. Um, the voice that comes up is my own of uh, told you so dude. like, I'm not stupid. Yeah. I mean, I'm not smart either, but I, I know I've done things to myself that it's just like self-sabotaging. We all do that. I think to a certain extent, I do it around surrounding 
finances, money, and it's the craziest thing, my association with that, which we talked a little bit earlier about it, but like that's a a giant fear. And maybe that's where that comes from, from my dad. Like, you know, you're never going to make it as a photographer. Maybe it does come up, but it's through me Hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in some weird way. It's got passed on. Yeah. So you do, you do a lot of crazy. I mean, what I'm looking at on your back wall, I'm assuming that's large format paper negs and, you know, paper negs that are done in a way that nobody on the planet has ever done or even knows, Uh, you know, like, like you are a trailblazer in the sense that you do things differently, but you do it so that it'll be the best. Like talk, Mm. you know, I don't know. I mean, like the best, you want to do it to the nth degree, not that you're, you're, you're um, trying to best someone else, but you want to be your very best at it. Um, and, and you master so many things. Okay. Talk to me about that. I don't, that's a, that's a thing. And maybe that's where I get hung up on some things. Oh my God, this is a great conversation. Um, it's not that I want to be the best. I'm just curious. Hmm. Like my curiosity, if I was a cat, I'd be dead my nine lives would be shot in like 10 minutes. So (laughs) like, I'm curious what will happen when, if, I mean, what is around the corner? Like all of that is, is my curiosity that's put me in the right place at the right time. So many times it has led to discoveries of, you know, how temperature, how extreme temperatures can, um, can manipulate the the emulsion of silver gelatin that I didn't know. And if you have LED light versus a tungsten light, how it changes, how the the Sabatier effect or the solarization will appear. And it's just curiosity. And half of it is like, I couldn't replicate it again if I tried. Yeah. But that brings on a whole nother thing. When I do try and try something different, I get all these different variations of stuff. And it's, um, I don't try to be the best. I just, I'm curious. I'm curious, you know, curiosity probably led us to be friends. Yeah. So from from the outside looking in, I look at the things you're doing going, he is an expert. Like he's got that, that 10,000 hour rule is in my mind. I'm, I'm walking up to your 40 by 60 prints going, that's the most gorgeous black and white print with the, best focus at the shallowest depth of field that you've shot on an 11 by 14 piece of paper and you've printed it with the the most unbelievable tonalities in it and you shot it on a paper negative like all of these things are like one of those things would be hard to do but you combine them all into one and what i'm hearing you say is that you're not looking to become an expert in any of this, you're looking to learn and be able to combine things in a way that, that you feel satisfied with. Yeah. Yeah. It's just another notch in the tool belt. Like once you find that one little thing, then you can add that to your tool belt. Hmm. And so the next time you, you kick it up a notch and basically I'm still the kid in the classroom, looking out the window, dreaming about doing the next thing and the next, you know, that's that's just where I am and pushing that stuff is um I don't know it's it's just something I have to do Mm -hmm. so can you give me an example like I'm I'm listing off these things that I've seen in your studio and if we were to go back and just thinking about shooting weddings together and the crazy stuff and the angles (laughs) and the lenses like you helped me develop lens baby those very first prototypes you had you know several of them and we're pushing them to the limit so that we knew you know kind of the direction to go before we ever started the company but talk to me about some other things that i maybe i haven't seen other things like just, just journeys that you've taken into learning that that really challenged you oh my gosh learning myself was how so my biggest challenge, just figuring out why I do what I do, who I am really, um, not the facade, not what everybody else sees, but all the thoughts in my head. And, and really, it's just 
you know, notebooks after notebooks after notebooks after notebooks. And I don't even know if I've ever even opened all these ever once since I wrote it down, but it's like just the self-discovery journey and knowing that my work comes from that, like everything everybody sees, like those images on the wall, that's me. That's not my kid, Hmm. you know? And I see that in my work. I'm totally okay with being a selfish person, um, especially when it comes to my work. It, knowing that, that I do what I do for me solely, even when, when we were shooting weddings, I shot them for me. Yeah. And I put my own thing on them. I did whatever I wanted to do. And I luckily had the clientele that would allow that mm-hmm. most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that discovery of just like uh, really finding out who you are has been my quest in life because it's confusing being me. Yeah. It's probably confusing being you, you know, and, and probably, yeah. I, yeah. I can't even I can't even imagine that. <laughs> either one, either one. But it, it's like, that's, that's the biggest. And, you know, fear, I think is, um, fear is for adults. And, you know, I teach these workshops on creativity. Um, am I allowed to mention that on here? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. So I, I teach these workshops and mentoring on creativity and the, the, the real goal that I want to get to is to have people be kids again, because once you're a kid again, um, there's no failure doesn't exist. We just, you know, there's no wrong way to do anything with photography if we think that way, there's no wrong way to do it, then that's when we win. Mm-hmm. Like when we follow the rule book to the T, clearly anybody shooting a lens baby is not following the rule book to a T. So good for them. Step one. Step two, this is no failure with the lens baby. Here's the way Craig does it. Here's the way I do it. Here's the way whoever does it. It can all be radically different. It's not this set precision thing that um, sets you up to do one thing. You can do whatever with it. And so failure, there is no failure. If, you could, if, if, if I know this thing on the front of my camera or this paper or whatever can do anything, it can do anything. Like if we think of it that way, then that means there's no failure, right? At least yeah. in my crazy hairless mind. So, so just, if there's no failure, what is it? What is there? curiosity that's where i'm at like you know i've replaced failure with curiosity i guess Hmm. because i just um have i failed in life yeah yeah i probably i don't know like i i maybe i failed as being a husband but then i'll debate that with myself forever um i failed at staying married or did I? I don't know. Like all of it is, is, but everything else, it's like, well, you know, I just, I did what I did. Yeah. And, and, what that's, I do. That, and that one example is just one step along the way. And of course it's a, you know, hugely traumatic one to have, uh, you know, or, or, you know, the learning was deep and painful, yeah. uh, but all, every single step that we take in life is part of the journey. And so while that one might stick out, how can any one of those steps, if they brought us here, be a failure? Right. That's exactly right. That's what I tell my students too. And it's like, there's, there's, there's really no such thing as failure. Yeah. You know? Hmm. Yeah. I love the idea of fears for adults. Fears for adults. Huh. Yeah. When, at what age do you think you first started to feel fear that you remember? And, and what was the situation? <laughs> I'm sure it was over a girl. <laughs> Absolutely. A hundred percent. I was probably 15. Uh, yeah, it was probably 15 or so. And I felt fear of, 
uh, rejection, I think most. I think that was the biggest. That was okay, I, I want specifics. I want to know. Other <laughs> <laughs> uh, than my dad scaring the shit out of me all the time, that's that's a le- legitimate fear that you know he would he would hide in trees in the forest when I'm walking home from the from my from my friend's house he'd know i'm coming and he would jump out of trees on me and stuff like he was awesome in that way but he scared the (laughs) shit like he would just terrify me and then like for christmas he'd be like all right christmas eve let's go and you know we came from a family we kind of lived off the land we hunted we trapped we fished we did all the stuff like i bought my first car with a trap line and it's like catching foxes and mink and all the stuff and so we had this just plethora of uh frontier shit in our house and we had a, a a bear trap like a bear trap it's like this big and weighs probably i don't know 75 pounds it's wow. like i don't know if you've ever seen a bear trap but they're they're a real thing now we didn't use it it was just a, something that was on the mantle but every christmas eve my dad would make me take it to the roof with him and we would set the bear trap on the roof for santa claus because I was not a good boy that year. <laughs> I'd cry. I was scared. I thought it was real. Like, he's like, if you're not a good boy, he's going to step in that trap and he's not coming down the chimney. Oh, wow. So there may be some uh, some trauma there from that. <laughs> and I tell I tell my friends that and I tell a therapist that. They're like, okay, we, okay, we need to sort this out. And I'm like, <laughs> I've already sorted it out. It's fine. Like, I know, like, that was just, he was funny. He was hysterical. And in his mind, that was funny. Right. Wow. And I understood that at an early age. You understood it, that he understood it as funny, but you, yeah. you, you took some time. Oh, to I still, that. Uh, yeah, I still, yeah. Scared, like, you know, Easter, we would go rabbit hunting. We would yeah. get the shotguns and go rabbit hunting on Easter. Wasn't even rabbit season, but we'd go kill a rabbit and we would have rabbit for dinner on Easter. Wow. That was our Easter dinner. So there was, there was some uh, dark humor in my family, and it's probably where all of my stuff comes from. Very dark. <laughs> so he'd jump out of trees as you're walking in the dark. Oh, yeah. It, it, did you start to anticipate this? or? Oh, no. He was, he was good. He would let he enough would, time he would go. Let it slide. Yeah. He would let it ride for a while, and wouldn't happen, and then he'd. He'd jump out and scare me. He'd think it's hysterical. Uh, and my sister, she was four years younger than I was. I'd go screaming off like a little girl, and she would just stand and say, Dad, get down, or and just laugh at me. And I was just, I don't know, I, I think he had me a little spooked. Huh. <laughs> wow. But, um, but yeah, the, the first, the, that's the like, legitimate fear stuff. But the, I, I think the fear of being rejected by a girl would be, um, I think that was probably my first fear. And I, I don't know if I have specifics. Like, no, you don't, uh, you don't remember approaching a girl in the cafeteria, asking her to go to a dance oh, or something? Oh, gosh, yeah. I remember several. We used to dance in the fourth grade, so that was even younger. Yeah. We had these dances in our courtyard in the first grade or fourth grade. <clears throat> and I would go like see uh well there was a couple girls in particular that I just uh was just uh so in love with and they were just the uh, prettiest smartest blah 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 and I'd ask them and every once in a while they would dance with me but most of the time they'd they'd be with the the jocks in the yeah. fourth grade which yeah. we had jocks in the so grade. so do your hands sweat I, I'm getting sweaty hands just thinking about it <laughs> My feet sweat, actually. I'm a foot sweater. Oh, yeah. When, when I get nervous, yeah, when I get nervous, my feet sweat. So, huh. I, you're, you're okay. So, I have specifics. I, I, my very first date was seventh grade. I was a late bloomer, not, not fourth grade for me. And well, I went wasn't to, a date. I was just dancing. Go ahead. Well, I didn't dance. So, um, <laughs> but I, I ended up at a uh, football game, almost said soccer, but football game, Paonia, Colorado. Uh, I'm sitting next to my girlfriend that I'm going steady with that. I think I, I passed her a note within the previous two days and I'm counting. I'm, I'm like, 
I'm going to hold her hand on 10. And I probably counted to like 100,000 in 10s <laughs> that night, like one, two, three, and I'm just sweating. Like I'm just, there's no way I'm not going to hold her hand, but there's no way I am going to hold her hand. And, and you know, and we're just, they're like staring straight ahead. And, and she's probably like, who is this kid that, that I said I'd go steady with and uh, never, never held her hand. And uh, it was so scary. Um, but, you know, those things that at the first time we do them, it's like, okay, like this, all of a sudden, I don't know why that scared me. It's just holding another kid's hand. And, yeah. and yet it was so fraught with, am I going to do it right? Is she going to like it? Is this going to, does she even like me? Am I worthy of actually being her boyfriend? Was this a joke? Is she pranking me? All of these things for me at, at a, as a seventh grader, just like self-worth and all of that came up and, and just, you know, sprouted a lot of moisture in, in between the fingers, <laughs> at which point I'm like, well, she can't, I can't actually hold her hand because, you know, she can't know this. <laughs> I'm dating Aquaman. What? Exactly. What is yeah. happening here? Oh, my gosh. You sure look sweaty, Craig. I'm fine. Fine. Yeah. yeah. So um, you were one of the very first photographers that I knew that was shooting digital. And mm. uh, I know that that was a huge learning curve for me. It. It was more fun than fearful, but there were a lot of mishaps along the way to where, oh you know, I was like, hey, what what else can go wrong? Um, was there any anticipation or anxiety or fear around that change, especially as you're going from being familiar with a up to a six by nine piece of film down to this little tiny sensor with, you know, that can only get, get printed technically up to five by seven by all the right. ex experts. And, right. and you've got clients that are that might order a 16 by 20. What are you going to do? Like all yeah. of these things were a huge deal. I'm, I'm, I'm filling in the blanks here, but uh, for you, what was that process of transitioning from medium format landscapes uh, into shooting weddings again and doing it on this little tiny sensor? Yeah, it was, uh, I, I must admit I had, uh, I had the the pain and the suffering and the anxiety of that kind of removed a little bit because when I went back to shooting weddings, I was doing it for someone at a different, it wasn't under my name. <laughs> so, and <laughs> which was pretty cool. And he had just gotten into digital photography as well, Kevin Kubota. And he was uh, like, hey man, why don't you come shoot weddings with me? And He's yeah, he, like, oh no, I don't shoot weddings anymore. And he's like, well, I really love the way you see in your eye with, you know, with the big camera. And I've got these new digital cameras if you'd like to try them out. And at that time, they were like, I think 5,500 bucks, I think yeah. is what a, for a 2.7 megapixels. D1, yeah. yeah. Well, the D1, it wasn't even that, was it? Wasn't it like 1.3 megapixels? I think it was 2.7, but yeah. Okay, yeah, all right. So, um, so he finally talked me into it by saying, what if you could go to a wedding and just do anything you wanted? Yeah. Like anything. There's no, you know, you don't have to do anything. Just come along and just shoot. And I'm like, wow, it would be kind of fun to play with that camera. Huh. All right. So I went and did it and then saw the images. And he's like, isn't this amazing? And I'm just like, yeah, no, this is <laughs> awful. This is like the worst resolute. Like what? Are you, is this a joke? Right. Like so, so he so was looking bad. at the contents and seeing past all the things that might need to be done to actually print it. Right. And, and you were looking at like, uh, there's no information there. The, the technicality of it all is just like, I did the best I could. I mean, luckily I shoot, I shot at the time, mostly Chrome when I shot film. Right. And so the CCD sensor, like, you clip those highlights, it's gone. Yeah, because there was it's, no shooting raw. No, it, it, was, it was JPEG. So it was a straight, yeah. what it is is what it is. And yeah. it was still slow. And yeah. we're shooting on a 32, 16 megapixel it's card. Megabyte. Yeah, yeah. 16 yes, megabyte. Megabyte card. <laughs> and I'm just like, and you could get like uh, 60 shots on there or something. It's like, what? It's crazy. But, you know, I look at these things and I'm like, oh my God, this is really bad. This is, this is, uh, what do you do with these, you know? And then I knew nothing about computers at all. 
Like huh. I'd never even looked a book up. I tell this story like before getting with Kevin, I had never even looked a book up like at the library to know how to run a computer. Like I, I didn't know anything about it. Zero zilch, nothing. Wow. Like if I had to get something scanned to make a bigger print, I would send it off to like Colorado somewhere, I think at the time, and they do a big drum scan and then they do a, a big digital uh, print. I can't even remember what they're called anymore, but you know, that was my, that was the digital realm with me. So like going and then, you know, having that first one, I was like, well, that was kind of fun. It's like, what if I told you you could make money doing this? And I'm like, well, okay, I'm listening. And so kind of got turned loose and, uh, and I shot weddings enough to save up to buy my own uh, digital camera, um, which I gave up my horseman system in trade wow. to buy my first digital camera. So I went all in like everything I had to do this because I saw the potential of um, making a living doing that. Mm-hmm. I saw the potential of this digital frontier that at the time, like wasn't uh, set in stone. Like this wasn't going to be the future. Maybe no. this is like a trial testing ground. Let's see if this digital photography can where it can go and i jumped on full bore and especially once i got my head around what a computer can do which is basically what i could do in the dark room only i still have my fingernails and it's repeatable yeah yeah and it's repeatable and it's a little faster and i can have the lights on and i don't start growing gills and like all the stuff (laughs) so it was like "Hmm, all right i'm all in and so I guess there was a little fear around that, like, especially the day I sold my horseman yeah. setup. like, yeah, yeah. all right, this is a lot. This is, I'm thinking, and at that time, you know, this is what, 1989? No, 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 1999. 99. I'm like, you know, five grand for me was a lot. Well, 5,500, that's just the body. And then I had to buy all the lenses it, yeah, that, there was some fear behind that, but I followed it. And then we became kind of pioneers in like making Photoshop actions. And then Lightroom came on and then Lightroom, you know, got me on board to be one of their, their first testers of Lightroom. And that was incredible. And we'd sit with Adobe and tell them what they should do. And that was amazing. Like, That's awesome. Like right in the, in the front lines there. That well, and, and that was at a time when most professional photographers were saying, uh, this is garbage. Yeah, there's and, no shooting film. There's, no, there's yeah. no even chance of digital. No, no chance at all. None. In fact, two weeks before I got my first digital camera, I shot a wedding and somebody came up to me with one of these point and shoot Canon Ixis or whatever they were. And, you know, that's like probably 1.2 megapixels or two megapixels. And they asked me, do you have a digital camera yet? I, and I just flat out said, I don't think digital will ever apply to the kind of work I do. I shoot black and white film. I'm looking for that organic feel I'm doing. And yeah. two weeks later, I see on DP review that uh, for three grand, I could get a D30 on order. It was just being announced. And they showed me images and I, I downloaded them and I resed them up and I printed them out. I'm like, I could get an eight by 10 out of this. Uh, and <laughs> boom, I was number two on the list at, at Pro Photo Supply for that D30. So to go from this will never apply to the kind of work I do to two, two weeks. weeks later, be the second one in Portland to put one on order and to yeah. have, have it on day one, you know, of, of fall of, of 2000, 2000 for me. And you were light years ahead of me a year before like that's where when i came and took that workshop from you and kevin like i had all the questions and this is two by 2002 or very beginning of 2002 i'd struggled with it for a year year and a half and and i had all the questions and none of the answers and because you were just 12 months ahead of me you had figured out those answers uh you and kevin and it's fantastic. But what what you describe, I think, 
of, of having someone come to you, having Kevin come to you and kind of take the initial risk out of it is yep. really what I, I attribute to becoming a photographer at all because it was my school newspaper where we had bulk loaded Tri-X film and all, you know, five different developers, depending on what process or how much grain or if I shot different ISOs on the yeah, same roll of contrast. film. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Diafine would just give you... Uh, grain the size of boulders but it didn't matter what your exposure was somehow it was always right on your on your film so um not on overexposed but on underexposed so any from 400 and and further it just you know oh yeah i shot it at 6400 looks just like the one at 400 right next to it amazing but that took all of that and all of those resources at my college newspaper um, took the fear out of it because I wasn't taking the complete risk and I, I had a job to do. You know, that's the other thing is having somebody with an expectation of, Hey, yeah. there's going to be a picture. we got to have a picture of this basketball game or the soccer match or wild art from uh, the, the college campus or whatever it was. Um, it, it, it helped me. And I think making that commitment with, you know, kind of that, that safety net of, Hey, it's not all my risk. Uh, right that that's huge. And, and I, I see that parallel with Kevin and what, what he did there. Uh, and, and that service that, that helped you kind of make that change. Cause going from, from an RB system and a horseman system, you know, which is four by five, is that correct? Well, it, it was actually a, uh, what was the name of it? It was a six by nine. Okay. Camera. Okay. But you could go anywhere from six forty five. Uh-huh. To actually, you could do 35 millimeter in a pano, or and you can get a four by five extension back that goes on it. Yeah. So you could shoot anywhere from four by five to 35 millimeter with one system. Wow. I mean, I can't remember the name of it, but yeah. You love your options. I'm telling you. I do. I do. You've got cabinets full of lenses. Like, you know, it's so awesome. But, you know, just thinking about those two systems, you've got multiple formats you've got multiple uh aspect ratios and then that you limited yourself to this you know tiny little sensor with yep. you know a tenth or a quarter, two lenses yeah of five percent of the resolving power essentially of the film if that um yep. of of what you were used to and like that's that's a huge leap i yeah. i respect you for that and i i'm grateful for what you and kevin <laughs> did in those years before i made that leap it was fun it was fun. It was fun. Got to be a kid again. Yeah. Like, so talk I to, to me. Try something new. Yeah, that's awesome. And and what you're talking about the curiosity. I, yeah. The that that you were able to go in to this curious, and Kevin was able to to introduce you to something that you know, like it was interesting. Like that's yeah. that's you know that for me is what fear like if i if i have some anticipation about doing something or some some fear about doing something i got to pay attention to that like like that's something i should probably learn if if i look at somebody doing a job and i'm like oh yeah no interest at all it doesn't give me anxiety it's just not for me then obviously it's not for me but, right. but if i look at somebody and go oh wow you know how'd they get there and how did they get so good at this and yeah. i could never do that and yep. you know those kind of self-doubts it's like why am i even why do i even care you jump on that train immediately yeah <laughs> right yeah. in front of it yeah <laughs> So talk to me about all these lenses in your, uh, I mean, like it goes on and on. You've got radioactive stuff. you got all sorts oh, yeah. of things. Yeah. yeah like, I got all this, all the stuff I've got. Um, oh my God. So the two that I have that are just the best uh, is for my four by five. Well, they can also be used on my eight by 10. They can also be adapted to my six by seven, my Hasselblad, uh, like all kinds of stuff. So it just, like I've made adapters to fit everything, but I have two, I have a um, Kodak Aero Ektar. So it's 178 millimeter F 2.5, um, thorium glass, super radioactive. Um, it was in the belly of uh, U.S. warplanes during World War II, wow. and they would use it for nighttime reconnaissance photography. They'd drop flares to see where the enemies were, like, hiding behind the bunkers, and they would photograph it, go to the dark room, process, and it's like, okay, there they are, go get them in the morning. 
or go get them and sneak attack at night. At the same time, the Germans had their planes flying over ours doing the same damn thing with a whole different camera system, which I had the lens for that as well. So at the same time, these two lenses could have been like flying, like checking each other out. Um, <laughs> and it's a Schneider um, 125 millimeter. It's a 12.5 centimeter F2. And it's just the craziest looking three-dimensional. It weighs... I don't know, five pounds probably. Mm -hmm. And it's only this big, like it's, it's again, radioactive. Sure. Uh, and so, you know, they, they needed the fast apertures to see with the low light and the flares that they would throw out or no flares at all. And they're just, they're not meant for what I use them for. They're, they're my portrait lenses. And, yeah. and I can even shoot, um, the Aero Ektar will shoot, it'll cover eight by 10. So having a F2.5 lens on an eight by 10 is nuts. Everybody yeah. thinks the, you know, the 0.95 lenses now are fast. This thing's like, it'd be like 0.4. I don't even know what it is. Like it's yeah. ridiculously. So, so I think about, I think about owning a radioactive lens and uh, like, I immediately go to, oh, I've got to have lead underpants and, uh, you know. <laughs> I don't like, think it's that radioactive. Okay, Although, so, it, it does set a Geiger counter off. It so, does it? Okay. Yes, it does. So, so for you, if you slept with it, it might be, a, it might be an issue. But right. uh, if, if, you know, for your clients, not a big deal. No, for my clients, not a big Even for my exposure around it. I mean, knock on the <laughs> mic or whatever this is. Um yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not with it a lot, and it's barely radioactive. So I think, yeah, yeah. you know, worse things come from drinking non-organic milk. So, <laughs> yeah. well, we'll see. Um, <laughs> the uh, so so why were those lenses radioactive? Well, because of the the materials that they use, it's thorium. And thorium is a, a radioactive material, and that's what they use to get the um, the glass sharp, like some of the sharpest lenses in modern day, um, the uh, 200 millimeter 1.8 from Canon mm -hmm. was their last lead glass. Okay. And they used leaded glass, which is outlawed for EPA reasons right. because they're just terrible for the environment. Sure. That lens is so damn razor crazy sharp, but with character. Like it's one thing right now to be, especially in today's market of lenses, to be sharp. Everything's sharp. Like, you know, everything's sharp and clinically so, which kills the character. And then there's no character. It's like, who cares how sharp it is if, if it has no character? And, and that's the thing, you know, the, the old glass had character and sharpness together. It was just sharp enough, yeah. just sharp enough to be like wide open it was just crisp enough to just uh, give the illusion of sharpness, actually. Yeah. yeah. You know, if you, if you look at it, technically, it's really not sharp, but everything else is so not sharp right. that it, it gives this illusion of sharpness, which is... Yeah, and, and you and I have talked about the new, uh, the new glass, like the new Nifty 50s. They're so incredibly sharp that, yeah. that they're almost unusable wide open because i mean in terms of what i would do with a wide open lens the old yeah. 50, 50 millimeter 1.4 from nikon i love shooting at wide open i had a 51.2 in the fd system yeah. and you know technically in the in the popular photography it didn't hit their mtf scale and you could only right. get a four by six out of it and then i'd look at the chromes i got out of it and i'm like Oh my God. Uh, you know, I was, I was still a college student. I didn't know to reject the experts on what was good and what wasn't, but I was like, well, I guess, I guess I lucked out because at 1.2, this, this image is phenomenal. Yeah. Um, and, and so like, you know, there, there is a lot of uh, sterile lenses out there. And, yeah. and I just want to note that, that the, the leaded glass, there's no problem with touching it or having it unlike, right. unlike a radioactive lens. Right. But, um, but it's the, the fact that in production, it just creates a ton of yeah. uh, toxic uh, waste that yeah. happens in our air and our water and whatnot. So that's why that was outlawed. Yeah, we have, we have a significant 
uh, or we have had a significant um, issue with all of the glass that we used had the original lens babies designed out of had to be replaced with new glass moving forward um, because of all the leaded stuff that that uh, was oh, wow. outlawed. Yeah. So I mean, and, and right. you know, these are modern designs. So yeah. Uh, so to 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 experience that in the last 18 years, this is a relatively new change for the yeah. environment. So which is yeah. good. But it also makes some of these lenses that uh, have tons of character uh, that much more valuable. Yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. For, fortunately, we we were able to uh, keep our character and and you know because we design it in, and oh, so yeah, we're, we're we're looking for those you know what what Canon and Nikon and Sony think of as imperfections. Yep. Depending on your aperture, that that that's an option, and then that's going to give you something unique. But, yeah. Yeah, clean images don't don't really do much for me i like them dirty yeah give me give me some magic give me some uh some happy accidents like that's that's if it doesn't have that then it's boring can you remember one of your first happy accidents that uh... (laughs) yeah yeah easily uh as a wedding photographer 1984 Uh i shot my first what 1980 yeah 1984 i shot my first wedding and uh running an rb67 uh-huh and um the rbs you had to cock the shutter twice and advance the film okay and shoot it you know it wasn't until oh, the right, rb right, right. pro s or whatever that when you cock the shutter it advances the film for you Okay. Right. So I was the king of I'd love to say I was the king of double exposures, but that would be a lie because I'm the king of three or four exposures on a single frame um, that I just forget to forget to <laughs> wind the film. Like I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Shit. Right. Ah. And so, you know, they, they come, they come out and dad would be just furious that I oh, bear traps right. coming out. Yeah. Bear traps coming out. And I'd just be like, no, he usually put me in a bag and hold me down under the river when I did. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Sorry, Dad. I'm, I digress. Um, uh, but he, yeah, he, like it was a it was a thing. But I was just like, well, that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Like I love the idea of creating these different things like that. So, so, so did you take that on immediately as something cool, or uh, did oh, you no. take the criticism in first? It took the uh, for sure. It took the credit. So you were super hard. So on I yourself. screwed up. Yeah, I screwed yeah. up. Yeah, I screwed up. It, so it and took a while to appreciate that. And again and again and again because I was daydreaming while I was shooting. It's like, oh, this is going to look like this. It didn't at all. I hadn't put those two together yet. Now mm-hmm. I have the technical skill of doing this for so long that I can dream something up and be like, okay, I know how to make that. Like, I don't have to have the stuff around. I can, I know how to make that. So how important was it to do it poorly, at least in your dad's eyes and initially in your eyes early on to get to where you're at now? Oh, I think it had everything to do with it because that was, that was a, a, that was um, taken as a failure on one side. Yeah. Right. And then for me, it wasn't exactly a failure. It's like, well, okay, that's just like your opinion, man. And then just try to push it the next time. I mean, it took me a while. Like, you know, I was a kid then and um, you listen to your dad or you get the bear trap. You listen to your dad and you try to do it right, right in, in quotes. Um, huh. Yeah, but um, I think with anything, there was this, like growing up, I didn't feel like there was rules in like, I was a kid that always colored outside the lines. I could not figure it out. I would, you know, draw or or color in what was supposed to be not colored in just to give a whole different look to things. So I don't know. That's pretty cool. I want to see some of those. Yeah, I would too. I like to see any of my old art. I just did a job a couple, what, two days ago. <coughs> and it's these two therapists and 
he had sent me this letter about what he had written about his divine self and living with these two or three bodies within him. And, and that, you know, was supposed to be my, uh, well, it wasn't supposed to be anything. He just wanted to share it with me to let him know who he was. And so these are the paper nigs that I just scanned in today of his multiple, and this is, you know, straight to silver gelatin and the partner. So putting these two together now in this, and that's, you know, I still live in that land where the, you know, the happy accident of doing that on the RB67 has come to a little bit more of a science now. So, so describe those images because uh, a lot of people are not going to be seeing the video. Oh, okay. So um, it's a single sheet of eight by 10 silver gelatin paper that um, I shoot an eight by 10 Deerdorf wooden camera. So you look on the back, uh, your lens is on the front, you have ground glass on the back. And so you see your image, but it's flipped right to left and it's upside down. Okay, when you're looking on the back of this thing. So I have to figure out, you have to know how to do math to figure out your exposure because I'm going to do three exposures with this. So one, it'll be a profile of him on the right. One will be a profile of him on the left. And then the other is dead center straight looking at the camera. This is my idea. And having their eyes kind of be close to match. Um, so I have a dry erase marker that I put him on the right-hand side, upside down, and I'll trace him out. I'll make the exposure. So you trace and him out on the glass? On, right on the glass. Yeah. <clears throat> yep, and I'll pull. I'll put the dark slide back in, pull my film plate out. Um, I refocus and recompose to him on the left, or if I'm doing the center, and then figuring out how the lighting is going to fall, too. It's like, you know, bright on one side, light on the other. Um, and try to make those eyes kind of line up and look at each other or mean something other than just, okay, three different views of someone. But it can also be just three different views of someone. You know, art's subjective. This is what I'm pushing through for me. Yeah. This is what I tried to go through. So, and then the one in the center, I just like line up where his, where my marker is. And then as soon as I line that up, I'll mark that again. So I'm drawing again on the back for that face. And then I'll tell him to hold still. And I put the plate in, I make that exposure and then I pull it out and then I line him up with my, my last drawing that I made and then make that exposure. So it's three mm. exposures and I'll drop down about a third of a stop. So it kind of holds in there with paper negs. Contrast is a, a thing. Yeah. So you got to be real careful, but um, well, the way I develop them and making the, the developer, it, it, it uh, makes them pretty, uh, pretty large dynamic range. Yeah. That's actually. fantastic. And just looking at it, it's, it looks like a high key image, but it's actually a low key image because it's negative. Right. And so most of it is going to end up black with just, you know, the highlights on his, on his forehead yeah. or on his face, looking each direction. And, and yeah. Uh, yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty dramatic, but it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't, you know, you, it makes sense to you, but right. to a you know, photographer that's not used to looking at paper, paper and eggs, it, it certainly wouldn't look like something that I'm used to seeing on a studio wall or on your wall. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. A little different. Hmm. A little different. Well, that's cool. Well, my friend, mm. uh, it's always good to get a, a glimpse into the mind of Parker Pfister and uh and the soul and you've you've uh you've explained a lot of things and give us given me history i've never heard about before i love the oh my god i love and hate the bear trap um yeah right I, I doubt you uh repeated that with your child but um you know that's what parents are for we we <laughs> uh we do the good things as best we can that our parents passed on and and try yeah. and eliminate some of the things that might not have worked so well but uh yeah, yeah. that's true or still incorporate them as it's bigger joke so you know. <laughs> well and i think our intention is always to do our best and uh we rarely do and and every once in a while uh we can walk out of there and go yeah that was that was what i was after and yeah, it's kind of kind of right. like our art you know it is yeah. another art sometimes we hit it yep sometimes but, we don't well you hit learning you hit it a lot of the time and i gotta say you know for your workshops i've 
it's just such a breath of fresh air to go and be challenged to be a child again. And, yeah, uh, you know, it's such fun. a privilege to, to work alongside you. And, you know, since 2002, you know, and yeah. sometimes as a attendee, sometimes I get to talk a little bit and, and uh, maybe inspire, but uh, it's, you, you're the inspiration that, that I get to pass on to a lot of other photographers. And so, you know, it's just awesome to have a conversation with you, my friend. Yeah. Well, same here. I mean, you've brought this, the, the art of play back to photography for so many people that were lost in that technical world of just like, it has to be, I should do this and just shooting all over themselves as people say, and you know, the lens baby just, you get to play a little bit. You know, and it's not for everybody, but those that get it, get it and do amazing things. And then the other people are like, oh, shit, maybe I need to go down that road because look at what these people are doing with this. Like the community that you have created, too, is just outstanding. Like there are some people in there that just just daily blow my mind that pop up on my screen. It's like, what? That's crazy. That's some like eight thousand dollar crazy lead glass collector lens no it's not it's just this little weird bendy broken thing that's on the front and then you're going to throw some kind of shattered plastic in front of it and create mind-blowing stuff well and and you're doing the same thing i just reached out to you yesterday about an image that i'd seen every once in a while for years show up in my feed and you shared it again and i was like what'd you shoot that with and you know you shot it with nikon glass but you shot it with a tilt transformer on your sony in full frame and it's just Fuji, Fuji. Oh, you shot it on your Fuji. So that's it was, an it was 1.1. Yeah. Wow. So 1.5 X crop. And so like th- these tools are technically, even as we're talking about it, it's like, oh, that's an APS-C sensor. That's the very first, you know, Fuji mirrorless yeah. camera. Like, like technically we go into this space where like, oh, you know, there's better stuff out there. But the reality is you're going back to World War II and before for your lenses to yep. say, hey, this is never intended to do this. We're going to create stuff that that is unique. And so it really doesn't matter what your tools are. You can be shooting a, a you know, a D30 with, with uh, you know, a, an original lens baby or with, with, a yep. you know, old, uh, CCT lens that you got off Alibaba and create something magical. Like it, these tools are so much better. You know, I mean, yeah. you and I know, uh, yeah. what the tools are compared with what we had at our fingertips in the eighties and nineties. Yeah. And, uh, and it's, it's amazing. And you, and you just pull on all of them. And I love that curiosity that you approach everything with and, yeah. uh, it's inspiring. Yeah. And I'm not afraid to go backwards on even the modern technology. Like I had the X-T3 for the longest time and I just, there was something like I, 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 every time I look at my X-T1 files and X-E1 files, I'd be like, there's just something missing that I can't put my finger on it. Ended up selling my X-T3 last year and I bought an X-T1 and I went backwards. Wow. And, and, and it came from shooting my little Rico point and shoot, which changed everything right. and figuring out that 16 megapixel for an APS-C is the perfect size. Hmm. Anything bigger, it turns it to plastic. There's something that happens. Yeah. And I think 16, 12 to 16 millim, uh, megapixel is the sweet spot for yeah. that. And for full frame, I think it's like anywhere between 16 and 24, maybe, but 24 is even kind of pushing it. Yeah, like I, 12 I, megapixel <laughs> stuff. That seems to be the sweet spot for for full frame. Yeah, I were. agree. D700. I, I I shot a wedding with. Oh you. my god. And, and I think I told you I was bringing the D750 and I don't know why I told you that, or I was, I didn't have one at the time when I came to the wedding and I kind of felt bad that I was shooting a 12 megapixel camera. And then we got done and I, I gave you the, all the images and you're just like, these, these are the images that saying I should pull out my, my D3. Cause it's the same sensor as, right. as what you're doing now. That's, that's, you know, I, I forgot how much I love that 12 megapixel. Oh, so that D700 is the best. They had the best images, not yeah. the best. I, I I'll switch that. They had the most character. Yeah. They had the the flaws. There was still a little something wrong with it. It it was organic. Gave a beautiful organic grain. It was it was yeah. round and not square, and it was just beautiful. And I still know lots of people that shoot with that. Well, and you can pick them up still. for like three hundred bucks. Yep. 
It's crazy. Yeah. So, yeah. so I love that you're, you're going back and you're finding those things that, that you appreciated and thought you were going to replace with something better and realize, nope, that was as good as it gets. Yep. Yep. That's it. Reclaim. And now I'm shooting medium format digital and I don't know what I think about it sometimes. <laughs> so it's still on the, still on the chopping block. Who knows? Yeah. 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 It's pretty awesome. Well, you're making amazing work and uh, well, always thanks. love, you are love too, seeing friend. it. Thanks. Yeah, make it a big splash. All right, my friend. Thanks for joining me. You're very welcome. Have a great day. You too. Use your open eye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Okay, two takeaways. Bear traps and sharpies as it relates to creativity and parenting. Not necessarily in that order. And you can find more out about Parker Fister on Instagram, at Parker Fister. And that'll take you wherever else you need to go to enjoy his amazing work and to find out about his workshops. Thanks for joining me for the Moving Through Fear podcast where we explore what it means to move through fear to discover extraordinary creative freedom.